Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Hello everybody, John Hangdorf here with a very special programme in a, an extraordinary part of the UK, what we call the Carbon Fibre Triangle. It's a real hotbed of innovation and engineering excellence. And today I've come to find out about a brilliant project that is literally the brainchild of one person. Now at the moment I'm above an industrial unit which you can hear working away downstairs but behind this door here is something that I think you're going to be impressed with. Come with me as we go inside a land speed record attempt here across the Radio Show Limited network of channels. The inside story on the teams, suppliers and circuits. Inside on RadioLeMond.com. Right, so let's step through. It's almost like going through the looking glass into here you will notice that the sound has changed there's a big soundproof door behind me and a beautifully turned out workshop that would not look out of place in any Formula One World Rally Championship WEC uh, area of operations and there's a reason for that and the reason is standing just to my left now introduce yourself sir Um, I'm Rob White I'm the uh, founder and CEO of White Motorcycle Concepts I said there's a reason that this looks like something that I would recognise, Rob, from what people might call mainstream traditional motorsport. That's your background, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I initially, I initially very, very early kicked off my motorsport career as early as um, would have been 95, 96 season um, with RML Group, with the Vauxhall Cavalier, that iconic John Cleland car. That was my work experience when I was a kid. I used to... I used to deliver Ray Malik's motorcycle news on my paper round and uh, I used to read it before sticking it through his letterbox and then when I was at school I was asked, you know, do you want to go do you want to go and work here, work there for your work experience and I had one thing in mind and that was I wanted to go and work with Ray at RML Group on the on the Cavalier. I was absolutely obsessed with touring car racing at that period of time. It was an incredible time and um I did a few weeks with Ray, then worked my summer holidays with Ray, and um, yeah, the passion was is there right from the start. Um, it moved later on into motorcycles. I did a period earlier on in my in my life where uh, my dad encouraged me and pushed me into BMX racing. Me and my brother did a lot of BMX racing in the UK. Uh, that would have been sort of um, probably 90s, early late 80s, early 90s. I had a brother that was quicker than me, three years older than me, that I was desperately trying to catch all the time, which made me a lot faster rider. (laughs) Um, uh, And it was difficult, sort of BMX racing sort of fizzled out of the UK. And and then Olympic sport now, if only you'd kept up with it. I know, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it fizzled out. You know, we got involved in other sports and then my engineering interest grew um, sort of in secondary school and, and things like that, you know moved into motorsport as I said with Ray uh, then spent some time 
um, working the high performance motorcycle stuff all on combustion engines not electric um, obsessed with British Superbike racing um, used to travel with Crescent Suzuki and help those guys uh, build their build their engines or you know I was only 16 or so 16 17 then so it was a bit of bit of cylinder head work bit of bit of um, bit of valve lapping bit of bit of shimming you know I wouldn't say I was a, a motorcycle engineering guru at 16 but the passion was there to get involved and learn and be in that environment and and it was a, it was magic did you do formal training after that did you go to college or did you just do your tra- training on the job because I bumped into you when you were working with ProDrive in endurance racing yeah absolutely so I did uh, left school um, I was always more interested in the practical aspect of our industry rather than the uh, sort of the academics um, and it was it was it was I, I always wanted to be involved with the racing that's where I got the passion from that's what I wanted to do um, and then as I sort of grew up and realised that that perhaps wasn't enough to fulfil my future career ambitions um, it was then I think I probably did 10 or 12 years of of, of, of um, adult education in engineering but it was mostly done sort of evenings and day release and things like that and was always in balance with a, a practical job working within the motorsport environment a lot of that was whilst working at ProDrive actually and you've I mean you've worked through all of the major disciplines right up to and including Formula One so you got to the pinnacle of the sport no doubt yeah I mean it's fantastic I mean you're sort of starting off Starting off in, in touring cars, just blown away by a motorsport environment. Moving into into sports cars with working under George at ProDrive. George Howard Chapel, that is, yeah. Yeah, the motivation at that point in George's career. I'm sure it's still there now, but it was... Uh, how could I best describe it? it? There was an aggressive motivation to succeed, and it was forced through every one of his employees, and it was an incredible environment to work in. I think the innovative seat, uh, thinking through that period of time and the stuff that you was exposed to and the, um, the drive to succeed um, was just incredible. And then racing against Corvette for a number of years mm. out in the States in the ALMS with the Ferrari and Aston Martin projects was you know, a, a very fond but also difficult period of my career. But I think any successful motorsport bloke or, or, or person, woman, would would always say that for whatever reason we have the, an amazing ability to um, forget <laughs> the difficult pain of of working in motorsport and, and just... what you have to give up. A lot of people from the outside would say, "Oh, what a great life!" We, we get the same covering it, but it's not a job; it's a lifestyle choice, and and you give up a lot, and it's it's heavy on the the family life and stuff like that yeah I mean that's true I mean you know it has been tough and I've had to make some decisions over the last few years having a young family myself I've got two mm. two kids under 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 seven um, and they have changed the direction um, somewhat in my career but it's, it's made me start my own thing and you know I'm proud to have done that which brings us nicely to where we are standing right now let's take a wee walk over here um, I'll talk about this on my right which is a um, a Hayabusa, a classic hyperbike um, 
the like of which we'll probably not see again uh, in terms of its performance levels and particularly at its price point the Super Blackbird and the Hayabusa for those that don't know went head to head for a while um, the lovely thing about the Hayabusa is that is a, um, a predator of the Blackbird um, in the animal kingdom for those that don't, don't know the origin of the name but that's not what we're here to talk about what we're here to talk about is under that cover over there to my left and you mentioned that you'd worked on internal combustion engines but for this project you've decided to do something very different indeed the quest the challenge is to break the electric motorcycle land speed record world land speed record yeah so initially it would be for the uk uh, we've got a, a program to run in the uk this year and then we need to commission a new power unit uh, with a higher power output hopefully within with collaboration with some technical developers in the UK mm -hmm. and then we plan to go to um, Bolivia next year. So the class we, we're running in is semi-streamliner. Um, it will be, depending in, on what our competitors do, we will be under, under or over 300 kilos. I think it's likely that Voxan have gone over 300 kilos now, so I think that we'll follow those into the, into the over 300 kilo class. And these are another group based in Europe who are... Because there's a big interest in this at the moment, and, and it's great because it reminds me of the 50s and 60s when different consortia from around the world were trying to nick the absolute land speed record for the UK or America or, or wherever. And there's a bit of interest in this at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think for me, you know, for anybody that loves engineering, we are in, like, a massive shake-up. In, in the powertrain of our, our vehicles and through that huge rule change which has come about with the the need to adopt EV um, you know it stimulates it stimulates whole new concepts and new engineering ideas worldwide and therefore there is new excitement about about what's happening at the moment and and we've taken the opportunities that have come about with 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 the EV powertrain, mm -hmm. and we're looking to create a new concept which maximises the benefits of that. Right, we'll talk about how we got to where we are now in terms of the engineering in a moment. Just remind you, you're listening to a midweek motorsport special, the inside stories at White Motorcycle Concept, heading towards an attempt on the world electric motorcycle land speed record. Inside. I'm standing next to. The motorcycle, I wonder, do I still even call it a motorcycle? Under a dust sheet that will be the record attempting machine. And with me, the man behind it, the man behind White Motorcycle Concepts, Rob White. And now, tell me a little bit then about why a two-wheeled record, why a two-wheel electric record, and then we can start talking about the challenges. Of all the things that you could have picked, Rob, to do, why did this one light the bulb, float your boat? How did it... In fact, let's go back to first principles. How did it come to you? Well, I think... I mean, it's quite an interesting one, and I don't know how deep to go into it, because I think it all a lot of it comes from my experience in motor racing so in f1 and in sports cars 
and there's something quite unique about the motorcycle market which isn't there in the car market so if you look at you know most sports cars or hypercars they they are there they are there to be performance vehicles but they also carry excessive space within their vehicles which means that you can carry a passenger or the McLaren F1 you can carry two passengers you know the original um, and when you look at a performance car that's solely made for going as quickly as possible you think of single seaters mm. and you think of formula car mm. you, know, you know any formula Renault formula whatever it may be and when you look at a motorcycle right from the start it is a formula vehicle you know it carries one person you know there's no boot there is no passenger seat you know well there is a pillion seat but it's a token gesture yes. you know you haven't given up the space to accommodate another person right from the off straight out of out of the manufacturer you've essentially every manufacturer in the world their superbikes are formula cars yeah um, and that's what I find fascinating about motorcycles is right from the off they are built for performance that's actually a very good point because I hadn't thought about that before until you mentioned it there so effectively uh, a motorcycle is already part way to being a formula racer if if you like in terms of your project then where would you equate that in the four-wheeled world is it is it a formula car is it it's not a touring car clearly is it is it a a, a sports prototype a Le Mans racing car I think I think perhaps it has if you were trying to draw similes between what I've done and and trying to explain the concept I think it would be most closely linked to a high-end sports prototype like an LMP1 Le Mans car so what you've got with a Le Mans car is you've got you've got the same level of engineering or very similar level of engineering and packaging that you would see in a, an F1 car where everything's densely densely packaged uh, around the tub front of that the, the, the you know the the, the wishbones and, and the front suspension behind that the powertrain and, and the gearbox etc and then by regulation a sports car says that the wheels must be enclosed mm. so then you've got vast volumes of bodywork that have to sit between the centre structure <coughs> and, and the wheels themselves which are you know on aerodynamic outriggers wishbones out, outside of that tub which you wouldn't do if you didn't have to do in, in at Le Mans, you would build something much more akin to um, a, a fairly low drag, very slim formula car. Yeah, I think so. But w- what's happened is through regulation, the engineers that you know, my perception is, is that the engineers have taken the opportunity to create to exploit volumes within a sports prototype for for lap time gain. Right, and th- and they've done that through aerodynamic benefit so instead of once upon a time in like the early 90s where the vast majority of air used to go around the vehicle Mm -hmm. and maybe the only air that would penetrate a a, a prototype would be there for heat exchangers if you look at the modern prototypes the the vast majority of air travels straight through the car it goes it goes through the front um, either side pod um, and it would feed heat exchangers but Predominantly, it goes straight from front to back through 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 the car, in 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 sort of aerodynamic channels that pass through the vehicle to minimise drag and maximise aerodynamic efficiency. I recognise that because when I stand in front of an LMP car, 
um, and particularly the look at the the new Toyota uh, GRO10, you can see straight through it if you get down low enough. Hell's flames! If you think back to the the Ford GT as a GT Le Mans car, that was nigh on a prototype. There was lots of places there where you could see straight through the car. So I absolutely relate to that, and I think our listeners will as well. Oh, wait, let's get let's get the. Uh, I'm dying to see this uh, beast now, and uh, we'll get the cover off and reveal. Oh my goodness, my goodness me! Uh, red, white, and carbon black. Well, my favourite colours to start with. Quite long in the wheelbase, totally enclosed sides. Uh, does this have a, a project number, a model number, or, or a name? Yeah, so it's just a, a model number within the business. It's called the WMC 250EV. So white motorcycle concepts, 250 is just a number that we've chosen. And then it's an EV powertrain. So, yeah, that's just the product number. Well, it's an extraordinary looking thing, but it does look like a motorcycle. This is, this is not like some of the streamliners that I've seen down through the years at Bonneville and places like that where somebody's lying flat enclosed by perspex and with a you know super long wheelbase it is quite long in the wheels but I recognize it as a motorcycle it, was that important to you to make it look like it looks like a sports bike yeah I mean that was exactly the intention I mean what we've done here is we've come up with a new aerodynamic concept and what we're trying to do is demonstrate through squinted eyes with you know the most radical version of it is that this could be adopted into mainstream motorcycling oh right okay fine so i'm looking at the side at the moment the first thing that i notice is the front wheel uh, is pretty much fared in all down the side is fared in the back has got a big hugger on it and is fared in as well you might expect that it's got quite a long tail piece aerodynamic efficiency there as well so you're going to be lying fairly low down on this and there's a, a nice little guard on the top there but as I come round the front, where really there should be a headlight and an oil cooler, as far as I'm concerned, there's a big hole uh, and there's a tunnel directly through the bodywork, uh, which I can now see the rear, uh, the rear guard through. Now, I, I can see from the sticker on there, is this what you call V-duct technology, is it? Yeah, I mean, it was. We have been talking about it in the press called V-air. Uh, we didn't want to call it V-duct before we'd released it because it was too descriptive of the technology. So, <laughs> so that's why we haven't been calling it V-duct. It's, it's, it has been V-air in the press. But yeah, I mean, it's a duct uh, that runs front to back through the motorcycle. And what we've done is, is we've maintained the rider height, seat height, similar to that to, for instance, a modern superbike. It's got the same seat height as an R6. Um, and then we've done a packaging experiment which is similar to what you see in Formula Motorsport, where we've compacted every single system, be it suspension, steering, um, energy storage, motors, drivetrain, anything we can. We've looked at each system, shrunk it, and, uh, and then we've packaged it as wow. incredibly tight as possible. Um, but Could you have done this with an internal combustion engine? Because it strikes me that a lot of this room under here, and if you listen, and I put my head in, you can hear, and that goes the full length of the bike all the way to the other end, and I can put my head in here, and you'll hear the difference. I mean, a lot of that, you would have had fuel tank and engine bits. Okay, you can get an engine. My, my uh, GT1600 BMW has a straight six across the frame, canted over. It might just about fit in there, but it'd be a, a compromise. I mean, 
has the, the choice of electric power helped with this design? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Just just as estimation, if you were talking about an internal combustion engine, you would you've got to say that between seventy and seventy-five percent of an internal combustion powertrain needs to be in fixed position. So engine, gearbox, you know, crank rods, uh, cams, inlet manifold, injection system, airbox, um, exhaust, you know, any heat exchangers, they're pretty mm. fixed in their position. Fuel tank, you could move around a bit. Um, maybe you could do a bit with, with water coolers. But generally speaking, 70 or 80% of the powertrain in combustion format is fixed. Um, and, and it gives a format which is difficult to difficult to play with whereas when you've got EV I would say other than your electric machines your motors they they they, they can be in wheel um, they're in wheel on the front and on the back they're more whoa, whoa, whoa. stop hang on in wheel on the front this is a two-wheel drive all-wheel drive motorcycle then so you're driving the front wheel as well as the back wheel yeah that's correct so we've got we've got two We've got two motors in the front wheel, um, two 20 kilowatt motors on this interim powertrain on the front, and we've got two 30 kilowatt motors on the back. So we've got a, com- a combined power output of 100 kilowatts, uh, which isn't a huge amount, but it does us for the UK running this year, sort of 135, 137 horsepower. With the drag coefficient we've got, we think we might just snag 200 miles an hour. Wow. Um, which would be incredible if we could do that for 100 kilowatts and it would get us very close if not take a British record. Let's let's start at the front then, as you mentioned that. I thought that was just fairing then, but I've realised there's something else that's missing here. There's no forks on the front. So how you've got motors in there. How how are you steering the front wheel here? Because you have got handlebars up top. Yeah, of course we need to steer. Even if we're going in a straight line, we need to steer. It's, it's not quite the same as a circuit racer, but we do still need to steer. So, yeah, so we've got our, um, our own hub centre steer design. Um, it's, it's an absolute work of art. I'm really proud of this front end. It's magic. Um, so we've, we've, we've got quite a lot going on. Um, but also, there's and that's that's not a new idea. Hub centre steering. People have played with that with motorcycles before, but they've never really got it sorted, have they? Yeah, I think I think it hasn't had a huge amount of investment. I think it also has engineering compromise, mm-hmm. just like every engineering solution has engineering compromise. You know, front forks have compromise, but they've been adopted by the industry for so long and developed that they are a reliable source for this. You know, what we've got is a duct running through the centre of the bike and what we're trying to do is absolutely minimise any restriction to duct entry so we can be as efficient as possible. And that has made us go towards a hub centre steered front end. Mm. Um, so we've, we've, we've got a new hub centre steered front end and then on the outside of the, the kingpin axis which sits within the centre wheel bearings we've got two 20 kilowatt uh, 60 volt motors that's at either side of the front wheel. Outside of that, uh, EBC brakes have developed as a, a disc bell and two 340mm discs. Um, and, and, uh, so they're quite large, but you know there is packaging challenges in getting a hub centre steered assembly, two electric motors, two brake discs and a front wheel all in close proximity. It's quite a packaging challenge. Dare I ask how the suspension works? Because clearly if you haven't got any forks... 
you haven't got any springs or, or dampers either. So how's that working? Yeah, we have. We have uh, springs and dampers by front and rear. So we've got a front swing arm. Um, we've got a front swing arm that sits under the main fairing piece. And then on top of that, we've got uh, a, a second arm that sits above, which, which um, controls the caster. Or, or caster or, or fork angle yeah. uh, or rake or however you want to communicate depending on which industry you're in uh, and then under that we've got uh, a rocker assembly with push rods and we end up we've got an underslung damper that sits in the lower and uh, in the lower center bodywork that's a multi-matic um, mm. damper um, uh, spring spring and four-way adjustment your uh, your uh, experience in the industry means you know all these people. You've, you've mentioned Multimatic. Um, you'll have worked with those guys in the past. Um, you said this was pretty much a, a, a one-man idea, a one-man operation. This doesn't look like something that a, an individual has knocked up in their shed, I've got to be honest. This looks professional. It looks well-finished. There's no rough edges on it. All the component parts look fantastic. How have you been able to pull this together? Well, I think this is the story that I like to tell because it's it's magic, really. Um, and that is the fact that, you know, I've built up a, quite a rapport with the industry, having worked in it, got lots of friends and colleagues and engineers all working in different areas of aerodynamics or powertrain or chassis dynamics or manufacturing. And, you know, this is my idea. This is my company and it's my drive but that's so you know it's so far from the truth that's delivered this you know we've got businesses like total sim and rml and ace composites that came on board right from the off um to to do a prototype and they helped us with uh, aerodynamics right from the beginning you know the stuff that rob lewis and, and total sim have been involved with across all formula you know boats oil rigs aerodynamics for anything really most notably in recent years you know, world cycling mm -hmm. success with the British Olympic team, and I think they're involved with every world team worldwide. So, it's it's having their guys' support to help develop the aerodynamics and the concept, which has enabled us to achieve such a high level that we have. Brilliant. I think what's key is I know what's required to get to the to the high level because I've been there and done it. I've been in the teams, I know the departments, I know the engineers, and I know what structure you need in place to to execute an engineering project of this nature to the highest level right. and that cannot be achieved by one person mm. it, you can have one person sort of steering the ship um, and having a large amount of engineering input but the facts are you need the specialists in each area to, to execute each of the points that are needed to turn out the best possible thing and that's what's happened here uh, well come back in a moment and talk about the challenges the timeline and when we might see this wonderful machine being put through its paces on this special program from the Radio Show Limited network of channels it's a midweek motorsport inside story on the electric motorcycle land speed record at 10 from white motorcycle concepts inside what I love about living in the middle of the United Kingdom Northamptonshire area is there's so much going on and that's an absolute joy I don't have to come very far from Hindhoff Towers to find interesting stories and our special programme today is all about one of those it's one person's dream 
but the whole motorsport valley has been pitching in as we've heard on this white motorcycle concept land speed record attempt the bike is stunning absolutely stunning there's an adage in motorsport that if it looks good it normally goes good when are we when are we going to see uh, this gorgeous machine in action and, and what now rob is the, is the is the timeline for getting this up and running yeah, yeah i mean the <clears throat> the powertrain went in uh, about two weeks ago now about 10 days to two weeks ago we had a couple of issues with one of the motor controllers but that sort of we've overcome those problems a lot of, a lot of the stuff is manufactured in Europe for the powertrain it's all you know the motors are made by hacker in, in Germany you know and normally you would fly those guys out to help commission the power unit and we've had to do it all over Skype and yep. and, and, and all the rest of it so there's added complications but we've achieved it the bikes the bikes running at 100 kilowatts two-wheel drive so we're ready to go we've got a few parts that are lagging behind slightly but the bike will be, um, will have the final parts by the end of this week, and then we'll be shaking down, hopefully, to start off next week. Oh so. wow, it's that that close. Yeah, it's ready to go. I mean, and where will you do that? That's in the UK, presumably. Yeah, so we've got a few private runways in the UK, uh, some of which are are more difficult than others to get on onto. Uh, Elvington is is a big one where the straight liner series in the UK runs most commonly. They run monthly there. And we, we intend to join those guys as soon as we've done our shakedown work. But a little bit closer to home is, is RF Cottesmore. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got some links into those guys there. So hopefully we'll be able to do some shakedown there next week. Uh, we'll start off slow and steady. You know, I've been involved in many uh, a prototype project in the past. And you need to be patient to, to um, sort of rattle out the small, small um, errors or... or, or, or or, or sort of um, reliability issues that you may incur just early on. So we'll we'll start slowly. We'll probably get up to 100 k's on the first test. You know, 100, 200 k's on the second, and then if we've confidence grows quite quickly, uh, you know, with with these things. So if we can get riding, we we'll have it flat out quite soon. Now you say we'll have it flat out soon. Um, you're riding this. This is. You've decided that that's the right way to go. It's it's your concept. I, um, I think of great land speed pioneers in the past who've have done it themselves. There's plenty of precedent for that. You, you, that's where the Hayabusa comes in, I presume, because that is a near 200 mile an hour motorcycle. So the speed you can you can get used to, but the systems you've got to learn, I presume. Yeah, I mean, it is slightly different. I think the bike, the riding position is radical. That's going to be the hard bit. Um, so we've, it's, it's no, actually, it's the same riding position that I essentially ride in on the Hayabusa because I found that I can go quicker on the Hayabusa standing up. Right. <laughs> so, so actually having a flat back on the Hayabusa is better than sitting in the seat. Ah. So when I run at Elvington, I get up to about, I don't know, 180 miles an hour and then, and then essentially stand up on the foot pegs yes and stick your bum a bit higher in the air get your back as flat as possible and you can pick one or two mile an hour up like that really? yeah for sure you're just trying to get rid of the detachment over your back um the air well, we see that in in mortal gp as well though don't we we see the guys i mean they're pulling 200 and plus miles an hour at some of the longer straights and we see those guys sometimes actually push the their backsides up onto the top of the seat hump 
Yeah, which is exactly what I do on the Hayabusa. Mm. I mean, if you want to look at a formula, uh, a motorcycling formula where you see that most prominent, that's got to be Motor 3. Yes. You know, there is no more aero, yes. aero-sensitive formula yes. than, a, than that. And you see all of those guys, their backs are flat, their bums are in the air, and they're trying to be as efficient aerodynamically as possible. And that's a position that I'm in on this bike um, permanently. Um, the only difference being that I don't need the foot controls you know we've got so therefore we're able to lift the feet slightly higher which is uncomfortable for sure there is aerodynamic gain significant aerodynamic gain to be had um, and bearing in mind when we're even when we're running on the salt in Bolivia you will only need to be in that tuck position for about 20 seconds so it's completely acceptable riding position for that application and, and it will mean that you'll, you'll go quite a lot quicker Tyres, I want to talk about the challenges. So I, I immediately see that we have racing motorcycles, of course, that do 200 miles an hour. Um, they don't weigh as much as this bike, clearly. Uh, the acceleration, I guess, if you lit the whole thing up, um, would be phenomenal. I'm presuming that's not in the plan. Um, that looks like a racing slick, front and rear, on, the, on this bike. Yeah, I mean... We, we aren't working with a tyre manufacturer at the moment, although we would very much like to. We've ident- identified uh, a Prelli Superbike slick at the moment that we're running front and rear, and that is on the logical base that these tyres are used um, at high-end Superbike racing um, worldwide and run reliably. Mm. And we plan to use that tyre well within its working range in the UK. We car- we're carrying a bit of extra weight, mm-hmm. Uh, we won't be using the high rate of acceleration that you would normally see on, say, a drag bike. Um, we'll have a we'll have a more uh, a much more linear acceleration, um, but we will be running up to 200 miles an hour, which is, I think, is perfectly within the working range of these tyres. Uh, but that that's going to be on a sealed surface. What are you going to do on the salt of Bolivia? Presumably not standard superbike tyres. No, we've got a year to solve that problem. <laughs> and there's a big smile on Rob's face when he says, you see, that's why land speed record challenges are so good. We've got a year to solve that problem. Tire companies, are you listening? This is a brilliant British project that somebody needs to, to get behind. And I remember having conversations with Andy Green about Diesel Max and them not getting up into top gear for that. They could have brought that piston engine wheel driven record back to the UK if they'd had a somebody build them a tyre alright so there's a year to solve that where's the more immediate challenge I love that attitude that's brilliant uh, where's the more immediate challenge then because at the moment we're standing in this lovely area and it is gorgeous the bike's right in front of me but from what you said it's pretty much been a labour of love at the moment um, you've got some backing from people who've given you technical help where's the next step and you know fingers crossed a record attempt in, in the UK 200 miles an hour or so um, where's the next step yeah I think we get, we we have a powertrain that we're ready to run uh, we've been in try we've been trying to engage a, a title sponsor to be able to raise the funds to commission the power unit to go for a world record next year um, we're unsure of what that looks like based on 
some discussions we're having at the moment with powertrain collaborators but there is an opportunity to be involved with this incredible British project um, you know supported by uh, you know our amazing motorsport engineering Mm. you know group of companies that we industry that we have in the UK Um, so that's so that's something that we need to, to, to look to do and where are the practical applications going forward? There don't have to be any for land speed record. The engineering for me has always been exciting. There's a mystery, um, a romance in some ways about land speed record. But from the way you've been talking, it, it would seem that you believe that there's, there's a potential not on going forward in motorcycles uh, and in some of the other componentry here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is very quickly becoming, um, you know, a smaller part of the business. <laughs> you know, this it, we've got a high-speed demonstrator here. I think it's been received since we've released it with um, um, with quite a lot of enthusiasm from engineers and people around the world. In parallel to this, we're already um, manufacturing the road uh, v- variant of this. So, yeah. so we're doing a, a three-wheeled scooter. Uh, for the first responder market in the UK um, that's a prototype that um, should be completed in the next six to eight weeks and then we're moving into a produ- production readiness phase of that uh, that includes a duct uh, much more aggressive uh, variant of, of this high speed demonstrator but still giving remarkable um, uh, benefits so on, on, on the scooter based on the drive cycles that we've identified for you know city use from aerodynamics alone by adopting a variant of this duct that we've developed we think we can reduce aerodynamic drag by 25% what 25% um, and we've developed a, um, a hybrid system uh, a, a piggyback hybrid system that we can run on that scooter so that essentially we can match the performance of a 500cc scooter for with an engine of 300cc so we can match the performance for half the CO2 Wow. Yeah, so that's that's what we've identified as the lower working range of this technology. You know, we've been working with the Advanced Propulsion Centre, which is an amazing organisation in the UK, and they do a great thing when you get involved with those, those guys. You do, um, we've been on the, the TDAP wave of, of, of technical support from those guys, and, and one of the early things you do is you go into a meeting with, with them, and they do a fresh eyes approach. Mm. So it's all under NDA, so nobody's allowed to discuss your technology outside of the meeting. But you have all of these industry experts, and they look at your technology, and you have a brainstorming session for maybe two or three hours. So that mm. can be like senior people from JLR or, or or other major engineering companies in the UK. And generally, the feedback was, you know, nice one, Rob. You've you've come up with something ingenious that goes really fast. But what's the real world application? What's yeah. the point? You know. Well, what, what's the point of a 250 or 300 miles an hour motorbike on the road? Um, which is where we identified the lower working range of the technology. So it's been uh, on the graph we've got our, our top point of reference, which is our, our high speed demonstrator, mm-hmm. and our three wheeled scooter is our, our low speed reference. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is just a. Th- I, I, I love it. And there's, there's lots of things in between, of course. Absolutely. Would this have applications in other forms of transport. I think a particularly high 
high drag situations. I'm, I'm thinking about trucks. I look, I look at that and think there's a certain, you know, ability to be able to package the, the front of a tractor unit with, with something running through it like that. I mean, do you think that far ahead? I have thought about trucks, actually. <laughs> and I think, I think my thought about trucks is, is what percentage of the time are they empty, mm. um, really? You know, you're pushing a volume through the air, aren't you? And mm. if it's not occupied, then you want to just get rid of it and, th- and flow air through it, which mm. is essentially what we've done with a bike. So, yeah, I'm not sure, really, going forward. So at the minute, we're, we have definitely got our hands full with the motorcycling market, and we think there's a great opportunity there. Totally agree. Um, you know ducks are not new no <laughs> they have been used in 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 every form of of, of vehicle over, over 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 a number of years so this isn't this isn't a duct isn't isn't a new thing you know but the application of the duct in this yes. in, in 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 this motorcycle is something that's new new and unique and and once you see it it's quite obvious as well yeah it's it, it, it I look at it now, and it, it took me by surprise when you unveiled it, and I walked around the front and the back, and I'm still at the back here, and, and I... See, that is just so cool. But when you look at it, it makes perfect sense. You're absolutely right. Rob, thanks for giving us a look round. This is absolutely magnificent. Please keep in touch, because we want to follow this along to hopefully uh, land speed records are plenty for this. Uh, Rob, thank you very much indeed. Good luck, and... Um, well, you know, as we always say in motorcycle, keep it the right way up and, uh, and enjoy it. I've got a feeling that even just seeing this, does this make you proud just getting it to this level, to be honest? Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is brilliant. I'm absolutely chuffed. I, I couldn't be happier. It's an idea that was on a piece of paper. I initially did a sketch of this six years ago. Um, then it turned into a very sort of unsophisticated single cylinder um, variant which I built at home and then through the through through the patent process and and generating some revenue we've managed to get it to what it is now and um, was it emotional when you first saw it all put together in the state that it is now (laughs) honestly I've been too busy See, that's how sensible and brilliantly practical engineers are. It's white motorcycle concepts. Keep an eye out for them. Go and find out a bit more about what Rob's doing with this brilliant concept. And I will tell you now, we'll be back to update you here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels. Rob, thanks very much indeed. No problem at all. Cheers. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.